and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditch Witch. Bass Edge Television is on the World Fishing Network and is on the Wild TV Network in Canada for all you Canucks up there, and we'll be back on the Versus Network in January of 2009. I've got Aaron Martin alongside, who's the host of Bass Edge. Aaron, what's going on, man? Hey, I am enjoying this nice uh, frosty mornings, cooler mornings that uh, we're starting to get into. Yeah, I say it's my time of year for sure. <laughs> you know what? We got a good podcast. Rick Clem's going to be alongside, and we're going to have a good Inside Edge segment. You ready to get going? I am. Let's do it. All right, folks. It's all right here for you on the edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, welcome back on The Edge. This is Outdoors Dan, along with the host with the most, Aaron Martin from uh, the TV show, otherwise known as Aaron's Garage Sale Matter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I was thinking about you. I was out in West Des Moines, Iowa. Is that right? Uh, yeah. You know, your neck of the woods. Yeah, okay. And there was some big garage sales going on. These guys were junking, like, $500 riding reels. Really? Yeah, and I could have got them for 200 Well, did. I mean, we're talking, and I know I hate mentioning brands, but I'll, it starts with a G. Yeah. You, you know you know where I'm going? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are four or $500 rods, and they were selling them for two. Well, man, going, you should have stocked you know up. what? If Martin wasn't using that other fine equipment, he'd be up here like crazy. Exactly. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to where uh, I'm in good hands and covered by a three-year warranty. But, hey, you never know. When you when you hit the deal like that, sometimes you got to look pretty hard. That was a pretty good deal, and, you know, those had some really high-end baitcasters on them, too. It was yeah. amazing. You know, this is my time of year. I'm going to start deer hunting Wednesday, and for all you folks out there that are, are out there hunting, I'm going to just give you a quick tip. If you've been out looking at food sources, uh, mass crop, like corn or soybeans or whatever, the deer are in the acorns right now. The acorns are dropping like crazy. I'm seeing acorns on trees that I've never seen acorns on before. <laughs> We've had so much water this year. Yeah. So if you can if you can find you some good white oaks, a good stretch of white oaks, get up on a ridge uh, three quarters down, and you should start seeing some really good bucks because well, that's where they're at. Isn't it true that uh, you know, kind of tying it into the to the fishing aspect, but uh, aren't white oak Acorns, uh, kind of a delicatessen, much like crayfish compared to baitfish are for the bass. Yeah, white, white oaks to deer are like the crayfish are for bass. Um, and why that is, Aaron, is that a white oak has less tannic acid in, in the acorn, so it's sweeter ah. than a regular acorn. So that's why they, they'll often, if the white oaks are falling, that's where you're going to find the deer first and foremost. It's just like bass fishing. I mean, you know, when the shad runs on, and they're, they're busting shad. Right. You know, and uh, if they can scoop up a crayfish here and there, they're definitely going to do that. So that's that's the uh, the manna from heaven. Well, it's 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 kind of like uh, here on the edge. You know, I'm kind of like the the white oak, and and you're kind of like you know the black oak. You know, um, yeah, uh, less tannic acid, right? Whatever gets you. Through, <laughs> <buddy>. <laughs> 
I just had to throw that in there. But uh, uh, you know, the sad part is you didn't even know what tannic acid was until I just said that. No, no. I, Actually, yeah. I know that's not true. Yeah. So. So, but uh, hey, last week I tell you what I've, I've got to say. You know, we, we travel around the country uh, doing promotions and stuff like that, and of course uh, we do several of the the NASCAR races with O'Reilly Auto Parts, and we were up at uh, the Kansas City Speedway for the Great Cup. Place. Oh man, I tell you what, first time I've ever been there. It was a phenomenal track. I mean. You know, of course, that's the the third race of the uh, race for the chase. But man, I, you know, I just want to throw out a, a thanks to everybody that came by. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, we we gave away so much stuff and T-shirts and uh, so anyway, just want to throw out a, a hello to everybody that did that and appreciate uh, you taking the time to come by and share some fishing stories. Yeah, and I hope everyone enjoyed my life size cutout because that's the only thing we did. Yeah, we had it sitting on top of the Christmas tree that you had me put on the top of the boat that you're gonna owe me a hundred. You know, I told that on the air the other day on the radio show down in St. Louis right. when, uh, when you stood me up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you know, folks, he's probably out finding a good Christmas tree for the boat because I know that'll be on Bath Edge next yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. So have, have you been watching uh, all of the, the debates and, and kind of getting into the political realm of things? That's well, right around the corner. Yeah, here's the thing. I, 93% of the people that hunt and fish vote. Right. So that's a very strong statistic for our demographic. But between you and me, I'm sick of the whole thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, it starts in Iowa every time. So I've been dealing with this for like two and a half years, and I'm ready to get it over with. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to throw out there, and I don't want to turn this into a political soapbox by any means, but bottom line, what we want to send across uh, as a message here, if you're not registered to vote, please get out and register to vote. I, there is some sort of cutoff line there. Uh, let's do our part to make sure that we have a voice kind of in the outcome, just given all the many things that's going on right now. End of story, won't say any more. But if you are registered to vote, keep that in the back of your mind and, and make sure you exercise that, uh, that freedom. Yeah, I don't that want to hear have. you griping if you don't vote. I hear so you. If you don't vote, you have no reason or right to gripe. That's right. Hey, you know what? We've talked about this, I know, a couple times before, but uh, it's going to be in the high 60s this week. What a great time to hit the water. Oh, no question. Perfect example of this is going to be our upcoming interview that we have with Rick Clun, and he's talking specifically about this time of year and some of the transitions and, and things that take place. But, you know, this is a time of year. You've got that fog that's coming on, the cooler mornings, the fish can normally be found uh, found up shallow uh, before they move out as the sun gets up into some of the deeper haunts. But, again, bait fish is going to be the key. You know, we've, we've preached and preached about the kind of that uh, fall turnover in those transitions. And, really, if you look at uh, – kind of our upcoming interviews here over the next few weeks, that's exactly what we're going to be dealing with, is trying to get our listeners and, and anglers in a position to where they can make better decisions because this can be a, a little bit of a uh, intimidating time of year just because the fish are so scattered out. Incredible how they'll move this time of year to feed. Right. You ready to go? We got I to am. Let's, let's get to it because I don't think there's anything that I can add to what he's going to say here shortly. Yeah. All I can say is what? Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be right back with Rick Juan right here on the edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. 
Welcome back to The Edge. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm here with the Dean of Bass Fishing himself, Mr. Rick Clun. How are you, Rick? Doing good, Steve. And uh, we're getting to that, what I call the, the sane time of the year of fishing for me. I, I, I tend to kind of back off intensity-wise. And in the fall of the year, the lakes themselves get a little more sane. And what I mean by that, you don't quite have the traffic. Football started. Guys are starting to think about bow season. And, and actually, the lakes get quieter. And that's what I call, that's what I mean by being more sane. And so I... I especially enjoy this time of year. I think a lot of guys miss the boat. I mean, they go hunting, and, and you and I both hunt, but a lot of guys miss the boat. There's some fantastic fishing in the fall. It might be some of our best fishing of the year. Yeah, I think it's going to be this year, with the, especially with the cooler weather that, that's already getting the water temperatures down there fairly cool. And I think the, the only thing you need to be aware of, I think the fall is going to start earlier than, than it has in the last several years. So, uh, again, like I said, I always kind of mark it by Labor Day, and also, I, I guess really even before using Labor Day, I always mark it by the, the beginning of college football. Yeah? I'd, I would notice, even in, in my guiding and other stuff, when college football started, Friday night high school football started, uh, a lot of guys kind of slowed down fishing-wise. Well, you know, we can be guilty of talking about summer patterns and fall patterns, but, I mean, the reality is it's this, uh, it's a transition, and it's sort of linear, you know. It's, uh, when, when, uh, when we're talking about fall fishing, what, what exactly are you referring to? I still love shallow water fishing uh even though there's times and especially in this part of the country where you realize that you need to be fishing out there in that deeper water i still am very prone even though i know that 80 percent of the fish are out there in deeper water the fall fishing gets that 20 percent that's still left up there in the shallow water active and i know that and i know i can go in the backs of the creeks or up the major rivers and stuff and really get on some neat shallow water bites throwing square bills burning burning spinner baits uh throwing some top water and to me i i'd rather catch and it sounds like the old top water guy but i'd rather catch one shallow is five deep mm-hmm. well you know that's a great point rig that i think we we can get into the habit of is talking about the fish being here or there but the fact is that on any given lake at any given time you've got fish doing different things and it's kind of yeah and it's kind of a it's kind of a once you really get into it you understand that really you're dealing with mathematics uh yeah uh, and what i mean by that is any time of year if you pick a zone that's your favorite zone let's say that you love to fish one to ten foot any time of the year the math of that you you should realize changes in other words how many fish am i exposing my lure to in, in that one to ten foot zone and certainly in the spring, we know that we're exposing our lure to probably 80% of the fish in the lake in that zone. But that's not true the rest of the times of the year. In the summer, midsummer on especially, you're probably only exposing your lure at best, depending on the lake, you know, to 20% of the fish in the lake. Mm-hmm. If you still want to fish that way, you still want to fish shallow, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying you've got to understand you're going to have to work harder at it because mm-hmm. the numbers aren't there. Just take that mindset going into it and uh, it'll keep you i guess from getting frustrated or giving up on the fish well it, for example if, if i'm going out there right now uh, you know i like to think about if i'm gonna fish a wake bait which is kind of a top cross between a wake and a spinner bait and a top water bait i love just making the right cast i start off the morning just wanting to make the perfect cast in other words if you if you got a boat dock or a target and, and and really start to get enjoying the perfection of casting because i still love that part of fishing we don't talk about it much and we don't most of us still don't realize how critical that is 
Uh, but to me, just make, sometimes making the perfect cast and watching it come around the edge of that mm -hmm. knock of that stump, just right. The expectation of a bite is almost almost as good as the actual bite itself. Yeah. Because you know right there it's fixing to happen. You know? <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> you got an isolated freezing out there. And, right. and uh, we have that this time of year. Uh, we, we happen to be out on the lake right now, and it's a little tough talking a little bit just because we could be over there throwing spinner baits and and our lake is flooded but you look over here and you see a lot of that uh, you know just a lot of cover a lot of individual flooded cover because we've got high water and casting is critical in these situations yeah it's even more critical when you've got uh, more objects in the water um, you know and like you said uh, this is an unusual fall that normally in the fall the lakes have been pulled down due to summer and due to water demands and so we're dealing with a very unusual fall this year for this for these type of, uh, of Missouri White River Lakes that amount of cover you're dealing with. Uh, so yeah, it will make you this year probably made a lot of people a lot better casters, <laughs> or either they quit one of the other. I don't know which. Yeah. Probably, probably saw some new rod and reels. Yeah. People tried to start, start over again. Cover this year yeah. made you improve your casting. Uh, well, and, well, and of course, as you look over there, uh, as, as a guy like me, I mean, I, I, I get to fish quite a bit, but I certainly don't get to fish as much as, uh, as as you pros do. But when I pull into a place like this, it just seems like there's so much water to fish. The whole bank is flooded, and it almost it, it can be a little bit intimidating. How do you go about? I mean, do you do you go about breaking down the bank in a certain way, or you just blaze and pound them? No, you still. You know, the old saying, again, uh, you can't see the forest for the trees. And, and that is very, you're very vulnerable to that when you have that much cover. And you really still need to read beyond the trees and beyond the cover, uh, especially to figure out, like you say, you know, even then, even then, there's not fish in all the cover. So you, then is it, the, is it the, at the windy point? where you've got some flooded willows and stuff is the key or is it that bluff bank back in here versus the shallow bank on this side is the key and right now i'll tell you because they have been trying to drop the lakes that you got to understand that's the direction the fish are trying to move they they are trying to move to these deeper banks because they are the lakes are kind of unstable they are moving you know the old saying fallen lake points fish out and that type of thing. Yeah, they are moving to your, maybe not your main lake points because you've got some, but, but your secondary points and stuff. So, yeah, you still need to read. You need to look beyond the, the cover and see the, the, the define the you know the geology of, of the bank and, and the bottom and the, the structure that that covers on. Do you think that uh, on certain lakes that uh, you've got uh, very specific migration patterns in the fall? Like if I caught them here last year, they ought to be here this year. How often do you think that's the case? And that and if you wanted me to give you one simple hint about what part of the cover to fish, just go to the same places that they were, even when there wasn't cover that you've caught fish in the past and fish the cover in that area. And uh, because that is one thing that's amazed me in my 30-year career is that I, sometimes we go to lakes year after year, and sometimes we have a, a long spell between the time I've gone to lake at 10 years, even 15 years, and you go back that lake, and, uh, and, and the fish are in the same banks and the same stretches that they were 15 years ago. When I guide it, that amazed me that the same stretches day after day, year after year, with the best stretches and you could go to another stretch that had all the elements that that best stretch had and that and the opposite is true is what i'm getting at and that stretch for some reason does never produce and you keep saying because i know hey 
this is the same elements here that's in my best stretch. I'm just not getting there at the right time or at the right time here. And yet, so what I'm saying, the opposite is true. Stretches that you have worked hard and you haven't caught fish on probably will never be very good. Well, you know, I, I know that's true. I mean, I, I'm a duck hunter, and, and I find it funny how ducks tend to like certain places to sit and they look just like everything else. And to me, I can't tell a difference. I have no reason. I can't analyze it and say that's why they're there. But I just know they're there because every year they just seem to like the same places. Yeah, and you know, it may be something as simple as this genetics. Uh, that that fish was raised in that area. He lived his whole life in that area. Seemed to, I don't know, they don't, they're not like a predator, you know, which where the males are forced out of that area and they have to go find new areas. I don't see that happening with fish. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, predators, predators seem like big mountain lions and wolves and coyotes. They force the, the young males away and that young male has to, that's why we know that the young males will travel great distances to, to, to establish another territory. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a, an interesting thing. So I've always tried to relate that to bass. Why don't bass do that more often? You know, and maybe it's the fact that their their life expectancy is not long. Maybe maybe crossbreeding is not that critical with them inbreeding. You know. Yeah. Um, well, you know that 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 brings an interesting point because I know that uh, you and I are both general outdoorsmen, whether it's hiking, camping, canoeing, fishing, and uh, how much do you think? you can learn and affect your fishing in a positive way by the things that you learn, say, in hunting or, or just uh, wildlife observation? Well, my experience with, with outdoorsmen is it's what I, I went fishing in the, down the Gulf this summer for the first time in 20 years and was had conversations with the guides down there, saltwater guides, and, and, we, and my, what I have found is a good outdoorsman a good angler at one species, it don't take him long to adapt to another species, he, because he, he he knows what's necessary. He he has he already has that that way of thinking, and he just has to make some some speed mental changes. Uh, and I think that crosses over even in, into outdoorsmen. Uh, you know, now there is a major difference in hunting and fishing. I think that is is important to realize is that in fishing. The entity that makes the final decision whether or not to participate is not the uh, not the angler. It's it's the fish himself, especially yeah. if you're fishing artificials. In hunting, the person who makes the final decision to participate is the hunter. Mm-hmm. In other words, the, the 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 animal is not. So that brings in a different way of looking at what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, is that is yes, I got as an angler, I got to do absolutely everything correct. But even on those days when I do absolutely everything correct, if that fish doesn't decide to participate, I, I, I won't succeed. Well, you know, I like your point about the anglers that, that fish well if they're crappie fishing or offshore fishing somewhere. And, and I remember, you know, uh, when I first got in this business, I would hear people say, well, so-and-so's got natural talent, but I always had to work for it. And, and I never really under—I never really understood that until just recently. You mean the natural talent? Yeah, part? natural talent. You know, like some people, wh- why do some people sort of naturally, it sort of comes to them, and other people have to perhaps, uh, and it, you think that's even true? I mean... I don't think the rhetoric of natural talent is true. Mm-hmm. I think the reg- rhetoric of natural desire is true that some people do just genetically want to fish and want to hunt 
and I think that's the key element. Uh, as far as now, do they have natural talent? Uh, so yeah, I think that's where we're kind of misusing yeah, the, okay. the, the, the words there. But because no, I had to learn bass fishing. But the passion was always there. The desire was there, and, and that was came by me. If you want to say from my dad, you no, know, right. if that's natural, then yes, I, it was natural. Right, and of course, you just touched on something we we talked about about up at the dock just a little bit a while ago. Is this is this learning, and uh, uh, you uh, you've been around this a long time, but uh, I often hear you uh, talk about something new in, in the continuation to learn. To me, that is why I continue, because I don't, you know, of course, I'm at the age now where I get my, my least favorite question I get asked is, how long are you going to continue to do this? Uh, because I don't really have an answer for it. And and I and also, I don't like the implication of the question that maybe they want me to quit. <laughs> but Some of them probably do. They're you know, trying to compete with you. But I know in myself, if I, if I didn't really enjoy as much as I do trying to learn and, and, and get better, and, and that's the key word for me, it's getting better at what I do. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily the execution of it, Getting in, in the sense of being better, it's more the understanding of it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you can understand something, then you have to execute it, and then that and that's where tournament fishing comes in. But and I know now it's not really even the execution of it. I just want to know with this new swim bait that's come out, when, where, how to fish it. Right. You know, uh, this is a new technique. I want to know why I am not a great spawn uh, spring fisherman mm-hmm. and I never have been mm-hmm. uh, so that's what keeps me going it's, it's that wanting wanting to know uh, if, yeah. if I didn't if I didn't want to do that I believe me winning another tournament is not enough yeah. winning another trophy is not enough to keep keep me doing it at this stage of the game mm-hmm. well you know I, I find myself uh, I think I learn more now than I did uh, at a younger age because I'm I'm more open to learning, and I'm more searching. I think, and, and maybe it's just because when I was young, I, I knew everything. <laughs> yeah, and then and the good, th- and that is one of the whether you like tournaments or not. That's one of the good side effects of tournaments. It, it does, it will show you that you don't know uh, everything you think you did. You're not necessarily as good as you thought you were, because it it's basically a, a measuring stick, and and, and I, and that, but we have lived in a time in at least in bass fishing where it, it reminds me of, of how far we've come in such a short time. You know, men, if you look at, what was it, just a few hundred years ago that men stepped on this continent, and now look at, you know, all the advances that have been made relatively short amount of time, you know, historically and, and you know, speaking. Fishing has done that same thing in the last 30 to 50 years. Man, what we have, what we have brought into fishing you know, look at this boat, GPS, and, and, and you know, the, the system of depth finders nowadays. You can crawl in a crawfish hole and see what's in the dang crawfish hole. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's right. Well, these are great times, and uh, I just I love hearing uh, the perspective of someone that's, that's seeing it all, all happen like yourself. Well, Rick, I guess we better run. Uh, maybe... Uh, Maybe slip over here and throw a few spinnerbaits or something. But uh, as always, it's great to have you on the edge. Thank you, Steve.
And, uh, you know, what a great guy. And I, and I know we say that a lot, but, you know, 99.9% of these guys are great guys. Oh, they are. And, and you know, I just uh, so appreciate, and I know all of us do, their willingness to, to kind of get on here and allow us to pick their brain and, and share, uh, you know, a lot of, of, I don't want to say secrets, but the reasons why they do what they do. And I thought uh, Rick's entire interview, you know, I mean, he just has such a unique perspective on how he not only breaks down water, and how he targets fish. But, you know, I mean, the guy's a legend. I mean, he's been in this for forever. Well, you missed entirely, you missed the highlight of that interview. What's that? He talked about both. Oh, exactly. Well, you know, he, he did. And he, I like how he tied that in from, you know, he said this is, and his quote was the same time of year, yeah. um, you know, with kind of the, the football season coming on and the bow season and you know, he really gets out and, and tends to relax a little bit more. And I thought that was an interesting way to look at that because, you know, a lot of uh, outdoorsmen are pulled between, you know, kind of being in the woods or being on the water. Uh, but to me, it's even beyond that. It just seems like that, you know, the, the pleasure boat and the activity that is actually takes place on the water, the birds and the wildlife starts coming alive. You have the changing colors. And, and I know it just puts me in a whole different mental perspective. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I love that 80-20 rule. I don't understand it, but I love it. Well, you know, it's, it, and it's something that I kind of had to listen to twice. But, you know, in business, there's a popular term that, uh, you know, 80% of the, the revenue, um, you know, is produced by 20% of your workforce. And, and he feels that kind of tying in the mathematics, I guess, of, of fishing, you know, let's, let's say if you're traditionally a shallow water fisherman, and that's, you know, that's, that's your strength and that's what you like to do. Well, there's certain times of year, for instance, let's say in the summertime, when, you know, 80% of the fish might actually be out in deeper water, meaning, uh, you know, that's a, a relative term, but let's say 10 feet or deeper. So you know that you are only fishing really for about 20% of the, of the fish in his example. But as the fall is coming about, you know, the water temperature is cooling down, like we've mentioned, I think, last week. You know, you get those cooler runoffs and those cooler rains that come in, bring all that new oxygenated water, the temperature's lower, those fish move up. So now all of a sudden the mathematics and your odds have changed. And instead of 80% of the fish, you know, perhaps being in the deeper water, we're here quickly approaching a time in which uh, the majority of the fish, chances are, are going to be, you know, 10 feet from that 0 to 10 feet section. And uh, so I thought that's a good example just to understand what it is that you're going to be faced with, whether it be in the springtime, the summertime, you know, wintertime or fall. And, and that's really what he looks at. He is perfectly all right with understanding that when he's fishing in the summer tournaments, if he is fishing shallow, you know, the high percentage, the, the vast majority of bass are, are not going to be in the areas that he's fishing. But he has enough confidence that he thinks that, you know, he can come up with the five bites uh, to be able to win the tournament. Yeah, well, that makes sense. See, if you would have just said the 80-20 rule was like you, me and you in the podcast, I do 80% of the work, and, and, I would have understood. And, but I only do 20% of, of, you know, the, <laughs> the lies and the uh, – I, I was going to say something else, but I happen to remember we well, are on air. Hey, so. This is a family show. There, yeah, it is a family is. show. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I'm just teasing. Right. Yeah, you know, he's a good guy, and I, I've listened to Rick for many, many years, and uh, he's just a guy after my own heart. I, I love to see somebody out there that just loves the fall. Yep. So, that is absolutely my favorite time of the year. No question. Folks, we need to run. We are going to come back to you with an Inside Edge segment. We're going to be talking with Bob Lusk, and he's going to talk about fall transitions, which is just perfect timing right here on the X. You've got the truck. 
you've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and this week's guest is none other than the pond boss himself, fisheries biologist, Mr. Bob Lusk. Uh, Bob, great to have you back. Hey, Aaron, what about this fall day, bud? <laughs> I think it's, uh, uh, leaves are changing, and uh, hopefully that means the fish are biting. Yeah, and I think my neck's starting to swell up a little bit. I love the fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, you throw the hunting uh, aspect of, of things in there. There's just a, It's a great time to be an outdoorsman, I can tell you that. And, and you know, speaking of the outdoors and, and specifically fishing, you know, this is kind of a, a, a transitionary time of year to where it can play havoc a little bit with some of the anglers, but also uh, if you're at the right place at the right time and kind of knowing what's going on, it can be some of the most exciting as well. To me, it's the most exciting time of the year because we're coming out of the doldrums of summer. You know, fish are moving shallow again. They're more active. The water temperature's better for them. They know winter's coming. They've got that instinct, so they're foraging, they're feeding. Uh, you know, the bass are out there chasing bait fish and trying to find the crawfish. At the same time, all those bait fish are getting their transitional time ready, too, for, for winter. They're, they're making preparations. You know, crawfish, for example, burrow in the summertime, and they come out in the fall, and now they're, the little babies are growing up almost big enough that they can survive the winter. And, shoot, that's succulent forage fish for smallmouth bass, especially, and largemouth bass, too. You know, the... the the bait fish numbers are beginning to decline a little bit. Game fish are getting a little bit more hungry. Forage fish are declining because they're getting eaten. Bait fish spawn in the spring, and then they grow up in the summer, and then some of the bait fish spawn again in early fall. But the whole time, those bass are just plugging away at them, chipping away at them. So everybody's getting ready for winter. Well, and I know you've spoken about this many times, and we often look at, at seasonal conditions and, and what that means not only to bass, but also basically just the forage, because where you find kind of the food source uh, there, too, you'll find, you know, you'll find the bass. But the turnover, just talk briefly, and not to be redundant on past episodes, but there's something that takes place, you know, within each body of water and the stratification of that oxygen. You know, what happens is heat rises for the most part. There's a couple occasions it doesn't, but with water, for the most part, heat rises. So as as the summer came and went, water got warm, water got hot. That warm water floated, stayed on top of a cooler layer below what we call the thermocline. Now that the fall is here and the water temperatures are, are dropping a little bit, once that warm layer of water equalizes the temperature of the water below it, they mix. And that's what's called the turnover. You'll, you'll see the water color will change a little bit. But the good news is, is that it also stirs up nutrients. It stirs up food sources. It brings some organic matter up to the top of the lake where Mother Nature can decompose it and insects can eat it and crawfish can feed on it. You know, so it's not all bad. It's, a lot of times it's a really, really good thing to have a fall turnover because it's a natural occurrence. And it just stimulates the basis of the food chain which in turn feeds the next level of food chain from insects up to little fish up to bigger fish, which finally extrapolates to the king of the beasts that we're always chasing under the water. Sure. And is it safe to say that, I guess, the crayfish become more of a dominant force 
in the fall of the year versus, you know, in the hot summer where you're prominently we're, we're focusing maybe on finding the schools of baitfish? Yes, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Crawfish are, are becoming more abundant. They won't be most abundant in the fall like they will in the spring, but they're becoming more abundant while the other fish numbers are declining. Plus, other fish, let's take shad, for example. When the water temperature begins to cool, their tendency is to move out into deeper water and suspend and move around in their schools, you know, maybe at 30 feet deep on a, on a public lake, where the crawfish are going to stay close to shore, close to cover, where largemouth bass are going to want to go. They're just, they're there. You know, a bass doesn't have to work as hard. If he doesn't have to, you know, go hunt down his meal, shoot it, bring it home, cook it, and eat it, he'll, he'd much rather just go get it where it sits, right there by, by his nose. So that's why there's an advantage for a largemouth bass to stay close to shore, because that's where the crawfish are going to be in the fall. Well, and, and like you said, I think earlier, you know, if a bass does not have to necessarily, you know, I've seen it many times to where a smallmouth will actually take its its nose and, and kick over rocks trying to find crayfish. If those are more abundantly and where you have to work less and the um, gratification received uh, from eating those, you're not expending as many calories. Obviously, that's a win-win for the fish. Bingo. Because a fish instinctively wants to expend the least amount of effort and energy and calories as possible. So if, if you're a 12-pound largemouth bass, you're not likely to swim three-quarters of a mile in search of a school of shad if you can stay close to home and hunker down and eat a 10-inch bass that swims by or pick up a great big crawfish that's just swimming in front of your face. Sure. And, you know, I think that the the other factor that's in there is you've said many times, of course, we don't have the taste buds of a bass, but certainly I think there's evidence that, that proves that uh, crayfish to a bass is a little bit more preferred than necessarily a bait fish. You know what? They love crayfish. They love crayfish even sometimes when it might even be easier to catch something else. You know, I, I don't know much about the taste buds for a bass, but I know that there's something about crayfish. And, and uh, the thing that fascinates me about that, Aaron, is an animal in the wild tends to go get what it needs. And a crayfish is made a little differently than a fish. You know, it's got calcium on the outside in that shell, so there's minerals and and vitamins on the outside of a crayfish, as well as that succulent meat that's on the inside. So that that bass, when it eats crawfish, is getting much, much more, getting a different set of nutrients and more of different nutrients than it might get if it was trying to eat something else. Well, as always, Bob, uh, you bring a, a whole new level here to the edge, and uh, certainly appreciate your insight on those. Um, once again, how can we get in contact with you to, to make sure that we're staying on top of all these interesting uh, facts that you've got to share with us? We know folks can hunt me down there at BassEdge.com on Ask the Pros. Those questions get forwarded to me. Or they can come straight to me at pondboss.com, and I'll be glad to visit and share what I know and maybe even what I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it, and there you are, Bob, once again. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you again in the near future. Always a pleasure, Aaron. Thanks. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back on the edge. Aaron Martin outdoors, Dan alongside. 
And, uh, you know, Bob hit it on the key. Bait fish is where it's at, man. Yeah. They it, are moving. You know, and it's it's um, so many times you hear us talk about that, but, uh, again, going into his advice that he provides, what are they doing, where are they going, why are they there, uh, crayfish are coming into play like he speaks of, and, um, man, what what a time of year to be out fishing. Yeah. Speaking of fishing, we got a question. Yes, we do have a yeah, question. We need a jingle, man. We need to get a jingle like, uh, you know, like uh, we've got mail or we got a letter or something. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, you know, getting you one of those uh, fancy, uh, you know, sound deals, seeing if, if uh, the Bass Edge guys would send you up some kind of sound effects deal, you know. Well, we need that. And that way you can press uh, the snooze button and somebody snoring <laughs> when they're sitting here listening to us. <laughs> no, I just want a mail jingle. There you I go. Mean, low maintenance. Low maintenance. Yeah. Hey, let's, uh, we got a great question from Jack in Lady Lake, Florida, and he wants to know what is the best way or ways to rig the four goby, and are they very stiff? Yep, best way to rig the four-inch goby. And uh, this actually was thrown out to Kurt Dove, and uh, Kurt basically states that the best way uh, to rig that is, is with a two-ot gamagatsu octopus hook, and uh, utilizing that hook, basically hook it through its nose, uh, in the front, and the hook should always come out and be exposed. The size of the hook will depend on the size of the bait you are throwing, but a two-aught should work for the four-inch goby. Keeping the hook exposed will avoid you from having to pull the hook through the stiff plastic when the fish actually strikes. So you're still finesse fishing, but uh, you're upsizing your hook to meet the needs of that stiffer bait. Hope this helps, and good luck on the water. Uh, sincerely, Kurt Dove. So, uh, great question and a, and a very good response. I think that's, that's a lot of times, you know, when we get into uh, dealing with different sizes of baits or even different densities of baits, you know, you take something like a, say, a Cinco, which is very soft, very pliable. Well, the hook application, obviously, for that type of material is going to be less, going to be different, I should say, than something like, uh, you know, the, the four-inch goby. So It works for me. It does work for me. Yeah, I'm never going to question the Dove Man. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we got a prize winner, too, Tommy, from Bowling Green, Kentucky. He's going to get a Fishing on the Edge t-shirt and an official Bass Edge cap and decal. So congratulations, Tommy. Yeah, and just goes to show you, you know, keep uh, keep not only the questions for under the Ask the Pro section coming in, but also uh, whenever you do that, you're automatically signed up and entered into that drawing. But you can also uh, just go directly and sign up for the drawing without having to send in a question. So um, make sure that uh, that everyone is on that list. Yeah, and don't forget, folks, check out the latest Bass Edge merchandise at BassEdge.com. You can sign up there absolutely free for the e-newsletter and also for the giveaways like Aaron just said. But just please include your shipping information when you send them in. So like Tommy did, we can send all that stuff to his house. Yep. And uh, the new video clips are up and have been posted, so check those out as well. And Aaron, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we got Stacy King next week. We do have Stacy King, and again, it's going to be talking about these the, the fall patterns, the fall transitions, uh, really trying to focus in and concentrate on this time of year uh, while we're in this so that uh, we can get the, the latest and greatest information while uh, everyone is out on the water and, and try those out. Also, uh, Mark Jeffries from Bass Zone will be joining us, so... He's always uh, has a lot of great things to say, so look forward to talking with him as well. Yeah, isn't that the boing? The, I can't do that. What's that sonar sound effect? Boing, boing. We need that. I can't do it. Man. See, oh, so man. Good. Now we, we, re- need sound effects we really have to get sound effects now because you're killing me on this end. Yeah, you, know, it's, uh, you know what? Did you ever watch the Red, for, the Red, for Red October? It goes boing. Yep. Or, yep. Yeah. Uh, I, you're not going to get me to do it. That's a trap. Come on. No. Hey, come on. You're the electronics boy.
boy. Come on, let's, let me hear your. Yeah, most of my electronics are hopefully silent, but uh, yeah, uh, I, so I can't do a sonar ping. There you go. So. All right, folks, we got to get out of here. We'll see you next time for Aaron Martin. This is Outdoors Dan right here on the edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstart Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.